Welcome to the weekend edition of The Daily Writer. Each weekday, we bring you a short lesson that helps you live out the four practices of a great writer. Creativity, consistency, courage, and connection. Here on The Weekend Edition, we take a deeper dive into those topics through conversations with writers and teaching that helps us apply what we're learning. For more, you can visit us at dailywriterlife.com. You know, as writers, we can easily get lost in the task of writing, but lose sight of what is most important, and that is always connecting with the reader. I mean, that's what we do as writers, right? We impact people's lives with our writing. So that connection element is so vital, but it's so easy to lose sight of that. And that is why I'm thrilled to have my friend Dixie Gillespie as a guest on this episode who is here to talk about that very topic. Dixie is a coach, consultant, and fire starter who is transforming leadership, culture, and creative productivity. She's the author of the fantastic book, Just Blow It Up, Firepower for Creating an Unlimited Life. Dixie is also a contributor at Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazines. I first got to know Dixie when I was writing and editing for The Goodman Project, and I got to know her as an amazing encourager and as an amazing coach who helped me learn the ropes of writing for a large online publication like Goodman Project. And since that time, I've continued to see her impact through writing, coaching, and influence in so many other ways. And she has a truly unique way of connecting with people on a real and personal level that I think honestly is really rare in our hectic, fast-paced world. In this conversation, we talk about the power that we have as writers, how to deal with fear, and how writers are the medium for how we make sense of the world. In other words, you are immensely powerful as a writer. You're far more powerful than you can ever possibly imagine. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I not only learned a ton, but I came away feeling really inspired and really motivated to keep on keeping on as a writer. Well, I know that you're going to be inspired just as much as I was. So here's my conversation with the phenomenal Dixie Gillespie. Dixie, welcome to the Daily Writer Podcast. I am so thrilled that we were able to arrange this. It's been a while since we have really chatted. Um, you've been a uh, really a powerful influence in my life, even though we haven't talked a lot the past few years. Um, you have been instrumental in getting me to develop a bigger mindset with writing, um, to think more clearly about my own creative power and so much more. So thanks for joining me. I'm so thrilled to be here and to hear that. This is this is what I live for right there. See, you just made my day and now we can all go home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we can go have some coffee. There you go. I don't know if it's too late in the day for coffee. It's uh, about 1.30 p.m. Is that too late? <laughs> Never. Never too late. So we're here to talk about writing and some some things that are related to writing, of course. Let's start out with what kind of writing that you do and, and what are the realms in which you share your writing? Just so listeners have a bit of a context for, for what you do in terms of writing. Yeah. So the first kind of writing that I do is what I feel impelled to do. Those things that won't let you go to sleep or they wake you up and they're really annoying because they absolutely demand attention and you must put them on the page. And um, yeah. And then, you know, playful writing. I love to do playful writing. And then there's the really deep writing where you just go inside. You just try to drag everything that's in there out. And sometimes it's not really pretty when it hits the page. Mm. Um, mm. But as far as what you all get to see, none of that. None of that. <laughs> not at least until it's been through a few a few renditions. Um, you know, the type of writing that I do, I, I actually have an allegorical fiction book that's uh, 
that's pending some decision making on my part. But most of what I've done is business writing or, you know, just what I think of as life creation writing, you know, just blow it up, firepower for living Mm -hmm. an unlimited life was really for entrepreneurs originally. And then of all things, Amway made it their book of the month. I hadn't thought about it as being, wow. yeah, it was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And I've had people give it to, you know, college age kids and say, this is how you create a life. And, and I really said for me, everything that I've ever written is about finding the power that we come into the world with our innate power, not, not force over something else, but, but the power of creation and channeling that into creating what we truly love in the world, what, what we love and desire in the world. So everything that I write really relates to that, um, whether it's you know a book or it's articles for Entrepreneur Forbes, which are, of course are strictly business or some of the articles that I wrote you know on, on the Goodman Project, which were kind of the, the go inside and, and contemplate. It's, it's yes. really all about that, that creation of, of what we love in the world. Do you think sometimes we make a, uh, this is not a leading question. You know, sometimes people ask a question where you kind of anticipate the person's going to answer it a certain way. And this is not that kind of a question, but because you have your, your feet both in the business realm, but also the creative realm, as a lot of people do, do you think sometimes we make a false distinction between quote unquote business writing and then quote unquote creative writing? Yeah. You know, it's, we try to compartmentalize everything. And the truth is, we are one being, you know, the the superconscious, the unconscious, the, you know, the self-conscious, the ego, the body, the mind, the soul, the, you know, all the things, (laughs) there's one of you and it's all those things. So we start trying to, to, you know, parse that out and say, well, my business things belong over here. And my creative things belong over here. And my life thing, love things belong over here. And my soul things belong over here. But, but I am one thing, you know? Um, so when I think of writing, I don't think of it as, as what kind of thing is it? I think of who is it written for and where is it useful? Mm. Because all writing is in service of something. Right? Yes. Everything we write yes. is in service of something. So, so where it belongs or how it's structured on the page has to do with what it's in service of, but it comes from me and I'm one thing. That is such a key principle because so oftentimes as writers, we, we focus on our fear, our trepidation. We worry about what other people are going to think of us. How are, how is so-and-so going to look at this book? How is it going to play on Amazon? Do I have to be afraid of reviews and how many reviews do I have on all those kinds of things? But, but it's all for somebody else, unless you're, unless we're journaling and just writing for our own emotional release, which has a lot of value for sure. But if we're writing articles or books for other people, that has to be the goal is what serves them well. So I'm really glad you said that. that that's something I feel like we miss a lot in, in the writing community because we're so introspective and, and focused on our own emotions and fears and so forth. But it is, it, it's for somebody else. So we have to keep that in mind. Yeah, you said it, you said a really key word. I mean, absolutely. It, it's it's where's the focus? I call it the orientation. Like, what are you pointed toward? What are you oriented on? And where are you oriented from? And mm. the thing is that when when we're oriented from, let's call it heart, you know, our truth. Like, 
if we think the heart space is where truth is, my, my personal truth, what I'm here to share in the world, if that's my orientation point that I'm oriented from, or I'm creating from, and I'm oriented on the value I'm creating in the world with, with my writing, who, what is it in service of, then those two points of focus don't leave a lot of room for fear. That's true. That's really true. What are some of the reasons? By the way, Kent, I'm I'm just going to jump in this and and, and remind everybody does not mean I never feel fear. Let's just get that straight. Just because I know, (laughs) I know how to orient doesn't mean I'm always oriented that way. And I never feel fear because, you know, human, uh, totally, totally human. But I know when I'm in that structure of of coming from my heart and thinking of, of what the service, you know, the purpose is that I don't, I don't feel fear in that moment. <laughs> what do you think the sources of fear whenever we're writing, especially personal things, you know, our, our personal truth, our personal stories, what is it that we're so afraid of? Is it something that goes back to this, some kind of mechanism that is so hardwired into us as humans, where basically we don't want to do anything that's going to get us kicked out of the tribe, basically. That's a is that still it. a factor? Oh, always it it will always be because you know it's a part of it's a part of our uh, our social makeup. It's it's embedded yeah. in our yeah. story, right? Um, but that isn't all of it, and it's different for everyone. If you take fear, this is an interesting conversation that I had with another writer. Um, if you take fear and break it down, all fear translates to a belief that you could lose something you value. Yes, yes. So you know, if you go down, all fear is a fear of loss, right? Um, so when I when I coach when I'm working with clients and and there's fear in the picture, because really if you're if you're not creating with conviction, there's either too much fear or not enough love. Hmm. It's a ratio, right? <laughs> so so if if the fear is outweighing the love, and we're talking about fear, we always go into what what is it you're afraid of losing? Because we we talk about what are you afraid of happening, and then we say, well, that's irrational, and and we're nowhere because as soon as we label a fear irrational. The fear just doubles down because yeah. all fear is, is a warning sign. It's just your resistance, which is just an effect made up of old beliefs, genetic patterns, you know, history, story that we've inherited from generation after generation after generation, all that stuff. So it's just the effect of that. Resistance isn't really a thing. It's an, it's the, the effect of a lot of things. And um, so, so when we say, well, that's not, not rational, all of those warning signs that we're trying to communicate something, just double down and communicate harder. So the more we try to rationalize ourselves into thinking, well, that thing you're afraid of happening actually isn't something to be afraid of. It would be okay if it happened. Yeah, your old identity is just like, oh, you're not listening. Let mm-hmm. me scream louder, right? But when we just go, well, what are you really afraid of losing? Not the event of what's happening, but, but you know, with the effect, what are you afraid of losing? we often realize that the thing we're afraid of losing isn't at risk. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Especially with writers, people are always afraid of what is so-and-so going to think when I, if I put this book out there, if I publish this article, if I start this business or if I do this other thing that, that I feel like is risky, but, but is there a sense in which we're giving way too much credence to, to the fact that uh, that people are paying attention to us. I mean, let's be honest, in our distracted social media age, most people are paying way less attention to us than we imagine, I think. Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it? People 
complain, they can't get attention and engagement. And then they tell me they're afraid of showing up and being seen by certain people yeah. because, yeah. yeah. But but here's the thing. Again, maybe those people are paying attention. You know, maybe that person that's always imitating you or mocking you or whatever really, for some reason, is fixated on you and obsessed with you. And there's just an issue and it's their issue and it's whatever. But why are we giving them so much power? Exactly. That, exactly. that we say this fixation can actually harm me. And this is where the loss comes in. Like, like what are you really losing? Where's, where's the real threat in what it can take away? And, and when you break it down like that, you know, I always say, doesn't matter what you want to create, what you're really creating is a new reality and a new experience. Like yes. so we're just saying, I want a different lived experience, which is my reality. So I'm just going to create a new reality. Well, do you really want to choose a reality where someone else's pettiness can keep you from creating what you want to create? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I don't, don't. <laughs> I, I really, honestly, I wrestle with this this impulse that so many creatives have on just staying stuck where they are, you know, and, and I don't know if it's because I've recently been through a major life transition with, you know, leaving one long time career in academics and then, you know, now I have my own business full time and I'm much more comfortable with, <laughs> with question marks and unknowns and those kinds of things. Maybe that's part of it, but so many people that were just so afraid of something different we just accept the world as it is and we just assume, well, if things are this way, whenever I feel like most people miss the fact that you can create your own reality. If you want a different life, you can create a different life. Well, you can become someone different. You're, you are in charge of your own destiny and your own identity. I don't understand why the vast majority of people don't want to believe that or take action on it. Maybe, maybe that's the, the ultimate question is why don't we do the things that we want to do? Perhaps. There's a whole structure to that. Actually. There's a there's a whole <laughs> thing to all that. You know, there's a there's a structure that most people are in, and it's constantly reinforced, and it's yeah. reinforced through our old identities, and it's reinforced through sure. social messaging, and it's re. So we're we're in the structure where we I don't just identify with something; we identify as. So Gosh, that is so true. When you identify as your success, you identify as the book or the article that you're writing, you identify as, you know, the, the, the role that you've held, the job that you were in. Now, when there's change, it's not change around you. It's not change of the creation. Yeah. It says change means I can no longer identify the way I identified right. before. Right. I'm no longer me. If I'm not me, who am I? What part of me had to die? You know, people are always like, yep. well, I sabotage myself and I need to get out of my own way. And I'm like, who's this self? Which self is sabotaging which self? You know what I mean? So, so, so much of it is first, you know, my mentor says it's not personal and structural. And that's exactly right. We've, we've got to step into the perspective of a creator, whether you're a writer or not. If you want to create the life you love, you have to step in yep. to the perspective of the creator. And that perspective is that not just can we create our own reality, we do. We can't Absolutely. not create our own reality. Absolutely. So you might as well create one you like. And we do this every day. I mean, even so my wife and I, we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary a few weeks ago. And it never ceases to amaze me. We still, you would think after all these years of being together, 
that we would see things in a very similar way, but we still don't sometimes. And I think this is true of, of any friendship or any relationship that you've had for a long time where something will happen and I will have a perspective on it and she'll have a perspective on it and they're totally different. And it's like, oh my gosh, we are all living in our own reality every day, whether it's with kids or parents or siblings or friends or coworkers, whatever it is, we all kind of have our own little bubble through which we see life. So if it's going to be that way anyway, why don't we go ahead and and create the life that we want since we're already creating our own reality every day in a sense? Well, this is what story actually does. And this is why writers are so powerful. I mean, really, we just don't Mm -hmm. realize that we are, we are some of the most powerful people on the planet, right? I totally agree with you. (laughs) Because I call it identity and our personal identity narrative. Okay. So we have a sense of who we are. And if if you just think working definition here, um, the definition I work with is, is if identity is how I understand, experience and express my true self. So it's right now my current way of understanding who I am, experiencing who I am and expressing who I am, but it's not who I am. Any, I mean, otherwise I would be the same person I was when I was five. Thank goodness I'm not because I was even more stubborn then. <laughs> so, so that's, you know, that's our identity. And then we have this, what I think of as, as the personal identity narrative. And that narrative is the story that we've created for how things are. It's just like, this is life, the universe and everything mm-hmm. in me. And, and it's the story because you see story is actually our birthright in, in a very, we're, we're born with all these stories already stored inside us. They're in our genes. They're in our ancestral memory. You know, the work of Bert Hellinger, Hellinger suggests that trauma markers actually go back at least seven generations. And he says seven, because past that point, we can't, can't do solid research. Right. We don't, right. we don't have the stories to, to validate the research. But probably goes so. So we're born with story. We're born into story, and then we start creating story. As soon as we come into the world, we're, we're part of a living story. We're creating story all the time. We're observing story, and the other thing we're doing then is we're making up stories. Mm-hmm. We make up our reality through observation. We do, and then we reach a choice point where we say, "I observe this. This is what it means." Well, there you go. You know, you've just created a story, and now it's. Now it's your reality. Yeah, I like to say stories really are what we, how we organize information yes. by giving it meaning and emotion. Like we, we process it all through stories. So even if you're writing a completely nonfiction educational book, if there's no story element, they can't organize and store that information. It doesn't have meaning. Right. Right. There's no emotional quotient in it. Therefore, there's no actual storage. You know, we memorize it, we lose it because there is no story. So we're, we're born into story. We're constantly making up story. And I honestly believe that for some writers who are, are going deep and realizing the power that they have at their fingertips when they put their fingertips to the, the pencil, the pen, the keyboard, the whatever, is sometimes it just suddenly seems so big and they start wondering if it's true and if it's real. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, all of it is. All of it's true and real, even when it contradicts each other. But you have to fall in love with that. You have to be in love with the story, with the with the evolution, and with knowing that nothing's certain. I was doing a presentation actually 
bunch of entrepreneurs in the room, because that's generally who I work with, and finished my presentation, which was on, you know, blowing up brick walls and getting the cans out of the way. And the organizer, I opened it for Q&A, organizer says, you know, Dipsy, it's a room full of, and this was in 2008, so just context, right? 2008, bunch of entrepreneurs. And he says, you know, it's a bunch of entrepreneurs. I think we live in really uncertain times. Could you speak to that? And I literally, without even thinking, and then had to go, did you really just say that? But I did. I said, I have never lived in certain times and I don't think I ever will. Right, right. And then when I thought about it later, I thought, I don't think I want to live in certain times. Imagine a story where everything's certain. We wouldn't read it. We no, wouldn't that, that's boring. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think so much of it is you fall in love with story. You understand that you, you are a living story. You are living in story. You are creating story. Story is your legacy. The stories that are told when you're not on the planet anymore are your legacy for having been here. And when you step into that living reality, then writing is just sharing it. This is a big reason why I love, and I love everything you're saying, by the way. This is really powerful stuff. This is a a huge reason why I, I think writing is so important. I mean, other than the fact that, yes, it's my job. And it's part of your job as well. And, and there, there is an employment component to writing, uh, a financial component for, for writers, for sure. But beyond that, I mean, if you think of, of 100 years from now, is Facebook going to be around? Is TikTok and Twitter, are those things going to be around? How, how will the, the generations who come after us, how, how are they going to know what our stories were? And the only answer that I can think of that I know of for sure is going to be print books. I mean, is Audible going to be around in a hundred years? I don't know, but I don't but know I, what the medium will be. Yeah, I don't either. But I, I do know that a print book is the only thing that I know for sure can last for a hundred years. I mean, I've got books on my shelf that are hundred years old, you know, and yeah, they're a little tattered and yellowed with time, but but still they're very readable. So there's there's something. There's something about writing and having it published as a print book that I feel like that's kind of the best insurance I can think of for making, for ensuring that your stories are going to be read at a hundred years from now. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if everybody cares if their stories are read a hundred years from now. Yeah, that's totally true. Most people may not care that much about it. I care. Yeah, exactly. I do know a hundred years from now, people will care that somebody wrote the stories. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really big into my family history stuff and I'm very, very fortunate in the sense of a lot of my family is from Missouri where I live. Of course you live in Missouri too. And uh, on a recent road trip, I was able to visit all of the, the men on my dad's side. So all the way back to my great, great, great grandfather, Caleb, who fought in the civil war. Uh, he actually, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. He actually fought for, he was conscripted into the, into the Confederacy, but he, he uh, abandoned. So I'm like, yay, good choice. You know, <laughs> Get away from the side that's the wrong side, you know, good job. And anyway, I was able to visit all their graves in one afternoon because they're all sort of in the same geographic area. And I don't know that there's something just about thinking about future generations, well, even whether it's family or friends or just people that we don't know who are part of our human race. How are they going to be able to experience our stories and what we learned in a hundred or even 
300 years or 500. I don't know. As long as the human experience goes on, because the thing that, that you'll notice, and I know you do, if you look at stories from 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago, the human experience at its core hasn't changed much. No. We're all still creating the things that we think we'll love or things we think complete us. Like, yeah. it's it's really, if you, if you look at all the things that have been created, all the stories that play out and what, you know, people took action. There's always a structure in story, right? They, you know, there's a status quo at the beginning and there's a resolution at the end and in between is the story. And if you look at all those stories, the move from status quo to, to the, the resolution at the end, you know, really <laughs> moving, moving through all the resistance in the middle, basically, is because they either believed that it, that it would create something that they just absolutely loved or no, you know, just do this thing or they believed it would solve a problem and would remove mm. something from their life they didn't love. And the human experience hasn't changed and it's not going to change. And we can always, always, always learn from the stories that were already created. Man, that's beautiful. That's really, really beautiful. It is interesting whenever you go back and read, let's say the works of Homer or stories from the Old Testament or stories from other, you know, parts of the world that are very ancient, you know, from 3000 years ago. Basically, stories are structured the exact same ways they always have been. Marvel movies, you know, of today versus Homer's Odyssey from, you know, almost 3,000 years ago. It's crazy because it's like, it's really the exact same struggles. Mm -hmm. So I imagine in another thousand years, it's going to be the same thing. Yeah. You know, I, I look at so much of what was written, of course, as, you know, science fiction back in the day when, you know, um, Highland, for instance, was writing, I think in the late 60s, 68, maybe when he was talking about a lot of the things that we take for granted now, like, you know, being able to call somebody and see their face in 68, that was like, wow, great imagination, dude. Right. Right. <laughs> and now we're like, FaceTime me. No problem. I know, you know, here's Zoom, you know, we're, do we're doing all the things. And so they may have created a lot of what we fantasize about now but they probably won't have changed the human experience because humans right. are, we're all essentially of the same makeup. We're all one, you know, one, one template, so to speak with a lot of variations. <laughs> yeah. It, it is funny. I recently got an Apple watch and I kind of felt like a goober a little bit because I'm my, the first call that I made on it is I went out and called my dad. And I'm like, dad, I'm talking to you for my Apple watch. Isn't this so cool? You know, and of course this technology has been around for a while now, but, but it is kind of cool when you stop and think about all the cool things that we can do. Yet the conversations that we're having via that technology are the exact same conversations humanity has always had. The struggles, the, the frustrations. Changed. Yeah, the, the story hasn't changed at all. Right. It's 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 quite interesting, really. Yeah, we bring all that with us. You know, a lot of the work that I do is 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 around resistance and moving through all the resistance to taking action and creating what you want to create. If we didn't have resistance, you know, we'd say, this is what I want to create. This is what I desire. We just go do it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not usually the way it works for most people. And uh, so they get stuck. Like you said, people get stuck. They also, what we call oscillate. So, you know, they, they have some momentum and they create something really cool and then they rebound and it's like, yeah. I gotta start over. Okay, fine. You know, 
And it's just because the the resistance, the old identity, like we said, you know, identifying as the old version of yourself, you know, pulls us back. And that story has played out. You know, we talk about the the status quo to the resolution when when there's a new status quo, it plays out and it's always the same. Like you said, the struggles are always the same. The things that we resist in our life, always the same. And it probably always will be. Before we start to wind this down, I, I do want to ask you if you can share some really practical tips for as writers who are listening to this conversation that, that we're having, who are maybe stuck in their fear, they're stuck battling resistance, they're not sure where to go, they're, they're not necessarily hindered by all the technicalities of the writing stuff, they're just having trouble getting their heart out there on paper. Are there any specific tips or strategies that you might share with with people who are struggling with those things, which by the way, is all of us at times. <laughs> Isn't it true? It is. You know, it is. I have people ask me, you know, how do you write from the heart? And what they're really asking, I think a lot of times is, you know, how do you write poetic, evocative, you know, stuff? And I'm like, well, you write from the heart when you get in your heart. So the first thing that a lot of people are resistant to is actually being in their heart and feeling desire. You know, we, we come up with all these reasons we want to write, but they're not about just sharing the heart. They're, I want to write a book so it'll help my business. They're the, I want to get published so people know who I am. They're the, I want to tell the story because the story will serve other, other people, but I don't, I don't really want to be, hmm. you know, write because you want to share something that's yours. And until you get oriented from that heart space where I've got something in my heart that I want to share out into the world, then everything is just work and craft. Mm. Get in your heart and get in the desire. And maybe the story isn't from your heart even. Maybe the story is something that you just made up, but you have a heart desire to write it or we wouldn't be having the conversation. So get in that heart desire to write the story. And, And you want to talk about fear? People are more afraid of getting into their heart and really connecting to their desire. And just think about desire as, I don't just love it. I love it enough to take the action to bring it into my life and to create it. And then they get scared because I can love it. It's a fantasy. It's out there. I love it. But to desire it, they have to admit they love it enough to do something to take the action to create it and bring it into their life. And that's where fear has its roots. So, Mm. so get into your heart, connect to the reason that you want to write. And the reason that you want to write isn't for the book, isn't for the story. It's because you want to write. If you don't hire somebody, I know somebody who can do that for you, Um, you know, but get into the real reason that you want, that you want to produce the story that's step one, step two, and you know this too, write every day. Mm-hmm. Some of it will suck. Get used to sucking. It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not failure. You know, it's not failure. It is a day when what you wrote, what you put on the page didn't resonate, but you want to hear something just hilarious to me. There are things, you know, Facebook keeps spitting up memories. You wrote this. Hey, you wrote this. Hey, you wrote this. 
And sometimes I didn't think much of it when I put it on the page. That's why it's on Facebook and not somewhere else. And today I look at it and go, you wrote that. And it's so true. And it's so good. And I can't believe you wrote it and just threw it on Facebook like it was nothing. Yeah. And and so thank goodness for Facebook feeding my words back to me. So some days you're going to write in the right every day. Some days you're going to write and you're going to be, that sucked. Save it anyway. A year from now, you may look at it and go, that was bloody brilliant and I should have saved it. And now I know where it fits and what I can do with it. You know, there's, there, we have a cut file for a reason. Yeah. Let it build. Yep. Cause the, there, there is a real sense in which we're terrible judges of our own work, especially in the moment where you write something and you're like, ah, I'm not feeling it. You put it aside then you come back to it later and it may not still be the greatest, but there's a seed of greatness there. There's a seed of greatness in almost anything if you water it and if you prune it enough. Ooh, frame that. So true. Yeah, that was good, wasn't yeah. it? I totally it just made was. that up. It was brilliant. You know the best advice I ever heard from writer's block, though? There's a poet, Rod Yelema, that I heard speak one time. I love poetry. And, uh, and he was a fantastic speaker and did a live reading and shared some things. He said, this is the advice that somebody had given him on writer's block. When you're staring at that blank, piece of paper, it's now blank screen, blank, whatever. You know, that's just the first stage of your creation, that blankness. But somehow, sometimes that first stage of creation is really daunting. Mm-hmm. He said, so when you have writer's block, just lower your standards. True. That's and true. I love that. Just lower your standards. Put something on the page because what you've done is you've moved the state of the creation one step closer. Mm, that's good. That's really, really good. I'm, I'm typing all this down so I don't forget it because this is really good stuff. Okay. Let me close with this because uh, there are some people listening to the show who do writing for hire, whether they're ghost writers, freelance writers, or doing marketing or whatever else. So you, we've been talking about getting into your heart as a writer. When you're writing for someone else, you have to get into their heart mm-hmm. as a writer, which, which I think is one of the most fun, but also a challenging component of writing for hire, particularly writing books for others, because I personally have to find, I have to find the thread in their story that I connect with emotionally and personally, and then I can get really invested in the project. Um, With something like a book particularly, and I don't know if this has been your experience, that's a long slog. So you've got to find your way into their story somehow emotionally. How do you personally deal with that when you are, writing somebody else's stuff? How do you find your heart within their heart? That's another brilliant thing. I hope you're writing all this down. Yeah, your heart within their heart. You know, it goes back to that shared human experience. There's there's very little that happens in a human story that has no parallels in your mm. own. And so go to the emotional level because you see they may have created a reality that in terms of the events and the setting and the, you know, the, the, even the character's choices may be completely foreign, Mm -hmm. but the emotion isn't because we all experience the same emotions. So if you go into the, in your heart, where's the emotion, then you just transfer that into their, their telling of the story. Yeah. Because it's every yeah. story, you know, it's just a bunch of events that created a feeling. 
it's a bunch, it's a, it's a bunch of, you know, a set stage, so to speak, where it happens that, that contributed to the, to the story, which really just led to emotions. Everything as humans, it's about how we feel. Yeah. Yeah. We think that we're such rational creatures. <laughs> you know, earlier in the conversation, I forget the context, but we were talking about rationality. And sometimes we, as humans, we go, well, that's not really rational. But the truth is that we do very little out of actual rational behavior. It's all emotion-based. Yeah, almost. Not. It's, it's It all is because of meaning. Everything is a representation, a symbol. It's what meaning it has. Everything from, you know, marketing to propaganda, which is really the same structure when you look yeah. at it. Um, you know, everything that we're afraid of, everything that we desire, it's really because of what it represents and how it makes us feel. There's almost nothing that we do that's rational, except maybe engineering. Maybe. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and I hope that engineers are not making emotional decisions. I don't want them to make emotional decisions. But they do. And that's the interesting thing is, is we make emotional decisions about what we want to create and why we create, even yes. if, even if the way that we create it is, is very logical and it's, you know, a, a process of engineering, the structure that we, that we create from as humans is still the energy of emotion. Yeah. Always is. Yeah. Dixie, this has been an absolute blast. I treasure your friendship and really appreciate your creative spirit and your positivity. And you're a wonderful coach. Um, you just have a way of bringing out the best in people. And that's really a gift. So I appreciate that. And I'm so thankful that we were able to get this on the schedule and uh, thankful to have you as a guest on the show. This has been a blast. Well, thank you. It, it has been pure joy. And, you know, as far as bringing out the best in people, it's what I look for. It's just what I look for. And, and that, that's what brings me joy. So I, I'm, gl I'm glad that it comes out. But mostly, I'm just so thankful to always see it. And it's so easy to see in you. It's always a joy to talk. Thank you so much. And oh, I forgot to ask, where can people find uh, your book and find out about your coaching and all the cool stuff that you're doing? <laughs> where can people track me down? Well, the books are easy. So just blow it up. Firepower for Living an Unlimited Life is on Amazon. And then I also um, have a chapter in The Thought That Changed My Life Forever, with um, Dr. Joe Dispenza and Bernie Siegel, which I just, I, I love both of them. So it was a, it was a real, it was a real um, treat to be included in that book, also on Amazon. As far as finding me, um, returntoyourpower.com, which is, uh, it's a business name. It's really a mission, return to your power. It's what I want everybody to do. Um, and of course, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, pretty dependable ways to track me down. Awesome. We'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes. Thank you. Thanks again. This has been a blast. Absolutely. Hey, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dixie. Wasn't that fun? She is such an inspiring and encouraging force in the world that it's always a blast to be able to chat with her. I would say my main takeaway from this conversation is that we simply have to write from our hearts. We have to get into our hearts. We have to know ourselves. We have to be convinced that we have something of value to share with the world. And, you know, if you have a writing business or especially if you're writing for clients or you're doing lots of things. You're trying to always keep the plate spinning with your writing and social media and business things. It's so easy to lose the heart of what we do. So I hope that this conversation and Dixie's reflections have encouraged you to get back to your heart, to get back to the main reason why you do what you do. I want to give a massive thank you to Dixie for taking the time out to be a guest on this episode. 
And I also want to encourage you to make sure and connect with her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Also make sure and check out her amazing book, Just Blow It Up, Firepower for Creating an Unlimited Life. There will be links to all that in the show notes. Make sure and check that out because I promise when you connect with Dixie, your life will be changed. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I want to take a moment to let you know about our daily writer membership community. You know, one of the very best ways to develop better habits and impact more people's lives with your writing is to spend time around other successful writers. So if you're tired of feeling isolated and chasing success on your own, then I know you're going to love the daily writer community. For years, I searched for the kind of writing community that I would want to join, but I could never find what I wanted. So I created my own. Some of the features include weekly writing sprints, monthly community calls, book discussions, calls with guest experts, and much more. For more info, you can visit dailywriterlife.com community. Thanks, and I'll see you tomorrow.